0: Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators.
1: Simply Stogies is a passion project that is fan-funded. If you enjoy the content Simply Stogies brings to you and would like to see more and different kinds of content, a website, more on-location podcasts with blenders, manufacturers, or retailers, or video reviews, please consider supporting Simply Stogies on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Supporting Simply Stogies can get you a ton of perks, including instant access to bonus material, access to Simply Stogies Discord, including a Patreon-only channel, shout-outs on the show and social media, a monthly virtual hearf with myself and other supporters, the ability to suggest cigar reviews, cool swag, or the opportunity to do a cigar review on Simply Stogies Podcast. Thank you for your consideration and your generosity. Now, on to Simply Stogies.
0: You're listening to Simply Stogies, a monthly podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back and relax while James brings you along on his journey as a new cigar smoker. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, and will probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply
1: Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. This episode, uh, we have with us. Glenn Loop, the executive director of the Cigar Rights of America. Glenn, thank you for coming back to the program.
0: Thanks for having me, James. Appreciate the
1: opportunity to catch up. Ah, I'm looking forward to it. But before we catch up, Glenn, just a couple of things real quick. Uh, For our listeners out there, I am still looking for a staff writer and cigar reviewer for simplystogies.com. If you're interested in becoming a staff writer or a cigar reviewer or both, please email me at info at simplystogies.com. I also invite you, the listener, to check out creativebraincandy.com for all of the greatest uh, great podcasts we have there, Uh, family of podcasts, creativebraincandy.com, including Smoking and Drinking in Space, uh, which I happen to be part of. So please check that out, uh, creativebraincandy.com. And if you are a creator, if you are a podcaster, vlogger, blogger, a cartoonist, uh, or anything in between, uh, and you're looking to join a network where uh, you will get help from everyone at the network, uh, check out creativebraincandy.com and hit the apply button at the top. All right, now that all of the housekeeping is out of the way, in record time, nonetheless, <laughs> uh, I mean formally welcome back, uh, Glenn Loop, to the show. Glenn, it's been about a year since you were uh, first on Simply Stogies. Uh, I sat down and talked with you, and I believe Tim, one of your ambassadors for Sim- or for uh, Cigar Rights of America. How have you been since then? <sighs> Oh,
0: nothing's going on. I'm bored out of my skull. Uh, <laughs> I wake up. Well, I'm obviously being very, very facetious because yes. we'll we'll get in the course of of you know meetings in Washington with uh, some of our consulting law firms and and lobbying uh, firms, and we'll be trying to plot out well, what are we going to do for the next two months, or the next three months, or the next six months. And in this era, we look down at our watch and we go, "What's going to happen before lunch?"
1: no kidding it has been insane 2020 start started off slow and it quickly picked up uh pace so let's talk about that COVID 19 it's obviously had a huge impact on everyone how has that impacted uh, cigar rights of america and its fight to secure our rights uh, to smoke cigars
0: well it's a mixed bag obviously it's been far more traumatic for the industry as a whole um with the fiscal impact it's had on the community retail tobacconist, what's it, it, the impact it has had for the supply chain, with it causing the shutdown of factories in Honduras, the Dominican Republic, and Nicaragua, with the varying levels of of impact in those countries, the whole supply chain becomes affected. But you can't take your eye off or your mind off of, of how it has affected these local cigar shops. And it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you feel the tragedy and you read the tragedy and you monitor it on social media. and You go, my God, what's going to happen next? And the flip side of it is the, the proverbial necessity is the mother of invention where you're amazed by the creativity of tobacconists to maintain their cash flow, to maintain sales, to keep their customers, uh, um, stocked satisfied, uh, supplied, uh, with curbside service. I, I keep using my, I, I guess you could, call, I don't know. My, my perfect, uh, metaphor here is Jennifer Nicole and offering cigar Uber down in Galveston, Texas. Uh, call me and I'll deliver the cigars to your house or, Shops saying, I'll deliver to you free of charge within, pick a number, 20, 30 miles of the shop. Uh, other shops with the social distancing saying, I've got three chairs, they're yours, no more. But I've offered three chairs to, to customers to come in. And, you know, what it, impact it's had on internet sales. And, and not just with, with the proverbial online retailers, but local community cigar shops. There was a case study here in Virginia local shop that did not have a web presence and they and they scrambled they put one together and it ends up the customers using it are their innate customers that wanted to support that local shop so with the shop being closed to the public they they open online and all the sales are within you know 30 to 60 miles of the shop which is a great testimony to customer loyalty So the stories have been all over the board. It's really given us something to think about for the next time. There will be a next time. And and how we're going to handle the rebuild as an industry after it's over.
1: Let's talk about that rebuild for just a second. And and what is for you personally, when you think about the landscape of cigar shops and even cigar regulation post COVID-19, where it's all done, herd immunity, whatever it takes, vaccine, whatever we get. What, what, it, what does the landscape look like? Because as I know you're talking about success stories, and there are a lot of success stories uh, where cigar shops are doing it the best they can, and they're staying above water. But there's also those that, that may not make it through COVID. So what, what is the landscape for you personally? What do you think the landscape looks like?
0: Well, one, we, there needs to be an ongoing and an immediate assessment of the fiscal, the economic impact of the virus on the industry. Uh, there needs to be an accounting of how many shops close, if, in fact, it happens. But, you know, sure, I think that's a sure thing some some are going to close. I have no idea who, but on a geographic level, on a on a macroeconomic level, there needs to be an assessment of that, because it, that could play into the whole regulatory argument that's confronting the industry. You know, it took the courts, which is a pathetic commentary, and I'll gladly get into that but it took an act of the courts to get the regulatory extension for substantial equivalence to september from may the 12th it's a pathetic and i don't you know throw that term around loosely it's a pathetic commentary that it took the courts to do it when the secretary of health and human services and the commissioner of the fda could have made that decision in light of our national crisis but no, they had the courts force them to make that decision, which forced the industry to spend thousands of dollars in legal fees to compel them to do what was right in the first place. Uh, that's going to be on the not-too-distant horizon in September. So that's going to be confronting the industry again. Uh, there's yet another court uh, hearing on June 23rd, I believe, where this subject could be addressed. The, the horizon is, is multifaceted. One, the economic assessment of the impact of the, of, the, uh, of the virus on the industry. Two, what can be pulled off between now and the election with the Trump administration uh, with regard to seeking long-term, sustainable, predictable, regulatory relief that the industry could live with? Trying to pull that off before the election. To do that, several things are taking place. One, we're using uh, allies in Congress to send that message to the administration for us. Uh, there's a lot of things in motion on, on that front. There have been for several months, realizing that we're you know, going into the home stretch at the end of the most anti regulatory administration since Ronald Reagan. So that's a very finite window, a very close window to pull off sustainable, predictable, uh, tolerable regulatory relief from the administration. And the requests for that are very, very simple. Uh, they, we need to institutionalize what the courts have said on warning labels. Why, once again, why does it take the courts to make a decision that the bureaucracy can make uh, or recognize that they were trying to ramrod warning, 30% warning labels, that's just the front, that's just the top, 20% of the front, 20% of the inside, as our litigation council puts it, making a cigar box, nothing but a billboard for government speech. I love that term. I do too. It, that's what it would have been or the the fiscal impact that the uh, substantial equivalence reporting would have on the industry or staring down the barrel of a needless testing regimen that hasn't even been designed but would bankrupt even the largest of companies there's several things uh, on the regulatory front that need to be panned out that hopefully decisions could be facilitated with the administration before election day and you know the closer you get to uh to Labor Day, much less just getting through Memorial Day, the closer you get to Labor Day, the tougher it is to get political decisions made. But to do that, and we're not being bashful by saying this, we are sending the message as to what this industry means to the state of Florida and Pennsylvania, which rumor has it will be pretty important in the election.
1: <laughs> as, it is every, as it is every election.
0: It comes down to five counties in Florida, five counties in Pennsylvania, two counties in Ohio, and you get to choose the next president. But, you know, the whole supply chain starts at the Port of Miami, spans to every other port in the state of Florida, 70 corporate offices between Fort Lauderdale and Miami and north to Tampa and Naples, thousands and thousands of jobs in the state of Florida associated with the industry. And that's the reason we emphasize the term cigar voters, that that you don't act like a cigar smoker anymore. You act like a cigar voter. There's a lot of single issue voter, voting going on out there and, if you feel passionate about premium handmade cigars, or if your livelihood depends on it, we need to vote accordingly. Uh, and getting that message across to both campaigns, both campaigns is equally important. I wrote a story today for the uh, Ash Quarterly uh, publication, and it's all circles around this whole theme of the election. And I told the story in what I wrote today for the magazine about, a, you know, everybody thinks this is a conservative. Republican, Trump type of thing. It's not because after the last election, all bets are off. And I told that story in this article I wrote today as well. My past crossed frequently in my professional life with Larry Sabato at the University of Virginia, who's very rarely wrong at predicting elections. And on that election night in 2016, I was holding a copy of his electoral college prediction map, and he had every swing state going to Hillary Clinton. After that, after tens of millions of dollars of polling done in an election, I quit. I quit predicting. But I'll tell you what. I, I know we're just doing this by audio, but I'll hold it up for you to sake of discussion. There was a poll that got it right. You want to take a guess which one it was?
1: I couldn't begin to tell you.
0: The Cigar Aficionado Readership Poll. Oh, wow. I'm not kidding. The Cigar Aficionado Readership Poll called the election for Donald Trump.
1: I would have never guessed that.
0: I tell you, and it it highlights how in tune they were and out of tune the establishment was, et cetera, et cetera, and no matter how you want to spin it. So based upon that, I quit predicting elections. And I think anything can happen going into <laughs> November. Uh, but that being said, I told the story in this thing that I wrote today. A, a guy comes up to me at Big Smoke Vegas last November, and he goes, listen, I'm not like the rest of these guys in here. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm a liberal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from Delaware. I like Joe Biden. I'm a friend of Joe Biden. I can talk to Joe Biden. I said, he said, and I want to do what I can to get our story across about protecting premium handmade cigars. It takes all sides. And like any other special interest, we've got a message to everybody. Uh, We've got a message to this administration about why regulatory relief should happen under them because it's perfectly consistent. With their political agenda, with their regulatory agenda, and we need a message to the other side in case who knows what happens on election night.
1: Exactly. And
0: it's why you know our our the composition of the co-sponsor list of our exemption legislation in Congress highlights this. We've got ultra-left wing Democrats on that bill, and ultra-right wing Tea Party Republicans. And it goes back to a, a, a moment we had in Washington several years ago where we had a Republican and a Democrat at a cigar function, and they looked at each other and said a cigar is an instrument of bipartisanship. And that's the name of the game right now.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I would agree. I think we've talked about this, I think, a year ago when you were on the show, that a cigar brings everyone together. Anyone who is a brother of the leaf, a sister of the leaf, a person of the leaf, when you, you kind of rally around the, the leaf. So That's
0: right that's
1: right i want to I want to get back to the uh, economic fallout for just a second because you said the deregulation right, and why and I've said since this started, since the whole coronavirus started that government should just get out of the way, start the deregulation on a massive scale, and let the people start to come back.
0: Uh-huh.
1: do you think that will happen, especially given? the economic ramifications, uh, the global market. I mean, it's not even just the, the, the American market, but the global market is, is hurting. If cigars go out and we, we, I've talked about this on the show before, because you've got the Dominican Republic, you've got Nicaragua, uh, you've got Peru, Brazil, you have all these countries that a lot of their economic, a lot of their economic stability comes from the cigar industry. What happens We get super regulated here in the U.S., especially after COVID.
0: Well, I don't think that's going to happen under this administration. I think that's a safe bet. And I base that upon uh, some very uh, foundational types of of examples, Uh, namely is every year the president's required to come out with what's called the unified regulatory agenda. Each time that that has come out under the Trump administration, it hasn't gotten any worse. It hasn't targeted premium handmade cigars. Uh e-cigarettes have been a target, flavors have been a target, but premium handmade cigars have avoided that type of, of bureaucratic scrutiny in the Trump administration. I don't say that in a partisan context, it's just a fact of life. Right. Could they have done a lot of things differently and in terms of facilitating relief faster, absolutely. But it arguably has not gotten any worse. To go to your question more of a macro context, I think like Everything in life and in business and in economics, it goes in cycles. And I've, I've made the statement during a, a Facebook Live thing with uh, Scott Pierce at the Premium Cigar Association. I said, let's just resolve to make this fourth quarter, this fourth quarter of 2020, the most resounding, successful, and profitable in the history of the cigar industry. Uh, CRA, we always launch the, at the end of November to commemorate Winston Churchill's uh, birthday, Uh, that that's the beginning of the cigar gift buying season. Uh, Let's move that up a little bit. Let's make it October and and just have a resounding October, November, December going into the holidays like much of the national economy is hoping to be able to do. Um, Let's hope that the events are coming back. Uh, Big Smoke uh, Florida has been rescheduled to Halloween, October 31st. Cigar Fest has been rescheduled for first or second weekend in September, I believe. The Rocky Mountain Cigar Festival is still currently being planned for the end of August. Let's hope that those events take place and begin to bring the brethren of cigar smokers back together again. So let's just hope and pray for normalcy going into that fourth quarter. That being said, um, you know, is it just economically stressful for the manufacturers? Obviously, all of them are stressed out at this juncture right. um but i think you know the zoom meetings the group you know e hearfs have proven what a cigar community is all about because of the volume of them i mean i i i lost count of how many i've done and it's not <laughs> near as many as rocky patel has done or uh, it seems like our brethren of our crowned heads have been doing one about every three to four hours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, the manufacturers, uh, the Fuente Newman uh, sales reps doing their, you know, group casts to their customers and, and retail partners. Um, I could give just, you know, the list goes on. Dozen, you and I could stop this broadcast right now go on to Facebook and find at least 20 going on as we're speaking.
1: At at least.
0: Oh my God. But it's a beautiful thing. And it proves what a cigar community, this is and what it's all about. Um, That, you know, I said this last night, uh, I was on the, uh, let's see, the good cigar yesterday afternoon. We were recording one of these and I said, you know, what are we going to do? Cigar smokers hug each other. We all hug each When was the last time you saw cigarette smokers hug each other? <laughs> we walk into a meeting, we don't even know each other. We go, hey, how are you? You know, what are we going to It's going to be, that part's going to be an adjustment, but that too shall pass. But let's go back to the premise of your, of your question. I think there will be a rebuilding time. I think there will be enough stock supply, hopefully uh, for inventory, for the retail community, for the entire holiday season. Uh, and then things gradually start to get re- solidly rebuilt going into twenty twenty one which puts us in the heart of the new twenty twenty one state legislative season and I agree with with rocky uh, Rocky Patel when he said uh several well at least, almost two months ago in a broadcast now what we're going to have to watch out for is tax policy because all these giveaway bills, which are fine and wonderful and needed to stimulate and provide a level of personal and community economic security, but there's going to be a bill to be due on that. And you're going to see a lot of states and the federal government put every form of taxation probably on the table to pay the bill for what this country has experienced over the last several
1: months. I agree. I think you'll probably see it also on the local level. So how does, how does Johnny Cigar Smoker, your average cigar smoker, Watch out for that. How does he get involved on a local level? Uh, obviously, joining the CRA is a great start. Become a member of the CRA. But on a local level, how does Johnny Cigar get involved and, and make sure those types of things don't happen?
0: Well, one, uh, we do hope they join Cigar Rights of America. But, you know, we recognize and appreciate that this is a uh, trying economic time for everybody. And with that being said, you know, you can join right now online for $25. We'll send you two great cigars for doing that. Uh, That'll put you on our distribution list, and we put out the regular, consistent publications, emails, newsletters about the major political issues confronting the industry at the state level as well as what's going on in Washington. We've also gotten involved and are involved in major metropolitan types of fights at the local level give an example tomorrow we've got i think it's tomorrow or friday we've got going out um two uh, one is uh, madison county indiana and everybody why would madison county indiana be on the radar screen well it's 130,000 people and they're the local government's using the the covid crisis as a justification for expanding their smoking ban shreveport louisiana even though you know you're in the heart of a, of a hotbed of the crisis and the like in, in the southern part of Louisiana, why are you thinking about smoking bans? Why are you even thinking about them? And yet, they're, you know, once again, city council using the, the, the COVID crisis as justification to expand the smoking ban. Now, that one exempts cigar lounges and exempts casinos, which we would remain concerned about. By the same token, it would, it would in a very draconian context, expand the smoking ban to all bars. Well, last night was a city council meeting and apparently the bars very feverishly pushed back on it, but we're going to come out with a contact point for city council to say, listen, yes, they're exempting cigar uh, bars and cigar lounges. Yes, they're exempting casinos. Thank you for that. Recognizing that we're different, but in the spirit of protecting property rights and personal choice, we ought to oppose the whole body thing. So still the tax bill has still uh, been signed and the like, but opportunities for messaging to the governor's office in the state of New York and a new tax initiative for a ballot measure in the state of Colorado has now surfaced. And we're not even into January yet. You couple that with what's going on at the federal level, where it's tangled up between, the, as I put it, the battle is both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue and a courthouse in between. And all of this is going on simultaneously. So to answer your question in a very roundabout way, (laughs) uh, between the Premium Cigar Association and CRA, if you just follow anybody, anything in the cigar media, you're going to find out where the hotbed spots and battles are taking place. Whether Again, whether it's a tax threat in Colorado or New York, or if you're in Shreveport, Louisiana, or by January, you can bet there will be tax bills from, Seattle to Boston, the the industry will make sure the word gets out to to, as you put it, uh, the average Johnny cigar smoker, which we need badly to be involved in this fight.
1: We talked about community just a little bit ago. I want to kind of dovetail back to that if we could for just a second, because it seems like the cigar industry can be divided at times, and I've heard it described as a poker table in the old west where everybody above the table is happy, they're helping each other out, they're 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 brothers, right? But under the table, everybody's got their guns drawn. <laughs> yeah. Oh. This is great. Right. So in <laughs> in that context, and with with COVID-19 and the economic uncertainty and all of the challenges that we've faced so far this year, how do we as a cigar industry, as brothers and sisters of the leaf, everyone in the cigar community, kind of come together and rally around it because I'll be honest with the FDA still pulling things that the FDA wants to pull and we're still in this fight and we've like, we just talked about where we're, we're fighting against not just federal level, but state level and local level. Uh, how do we come together? How do we put our differences aside and say, Hey, there are bigger issues at stake.
0: Well, if I'm reading between the lines of your premise (laughs) you know we can talk uh, we don't need to talk about trade shows and companies that pull out of things and the uh, as you would subliminally put it the uh the internal or under the table fights that take place you know your your broadcast is going to be one of the first places i've said this but i will say this where is it written that everybody has to agree honestly I watch trade groups all the time monitoring how other industries fight their battles in Washington and in state capitals. It's the only way you learn right. on how to deal with your opposition or how do you deal with you know, what perce- perceivingly ought to be your brethren in a given fight. And I always come back to the, to the beer industry. There's big beer and there's craft beer. And I've watched these battles. I'm not just making the story up. And there will be issues that, in an overarching fashion, bring beer together. Then there will be times where craft beer, because they're craft, want to be treated differently in a, from in a tax perspective, for example. And they, the craft beer industry has entrenched itself in every small nook and cranny community in America. Everybody's got a brewery. And that gives them a lot of political might. Now, they break ranks on that issue because craft beer wants their special tax treatment. And this is a complete metaphor. Then big beer fights them. But then there will be a tax bill that brings them together, where it's an overarching tax increase that would impact the entire industry. And then they come together. Well, I don't think we're a lot different in that regard. There are certain overarching issues that continuously, consistently, on a daily basis, bring the cigar industry together that we don't deviate on. Our public comments are similar. We have the appearance of of coalition on things like a streamlined approach to substantial equivalence, that there ought not to be pre-market approval for new blends. That there ought not to be an expensive or even at all testing regimen for an all-natural agrarian product that has no chemical manipulation, no nicotine manipulation to it. Uh, There are certain issues that are, in an overarching fashion, bring everybody together. Then there are issues that separate us. Well, that's why there are different groups. So you've got the Cigar Association of America, which does a great job at the state level, great job of fighting, uh, has entrenched lobbyists in every state in the union virtually like 44, 45 out of 50 states, Uh, but they involve themselves deeply in uh, flavored tobacco uh, product legislation. Well, they're good at it, let them do it. But does that mean everybody has to do it? I don't, I really don't think so. The whole subject of internet taxation, certain parties fight it, certain parties stay out of it, certain parties, you know, sit on the fence. It happens. It's natural. It's a part of the political process. So I take a little different approach to these things. I just come out and say, I'm not sure why everybody has to agree. Let everybody fight their battles and see where the chips fall. But that doesn't mean there are not certain overarching, unifying unifying issues that bring us all together more times than not. So... I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> yeah, no, it does. Absolutely. I'm Although giving I, you some I, candid political honesty here that, you know, uh, in, in Washington, where's it written that everybody's supposed to agree cause God knows they don't.
1: Right. No, that's a very good point. I never, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I've never thought of it like that. It's always been a, as you put it earlier, a macro level where we're all this, just the tobacco industry, we just need to all get along, but that's really not the case.
0: I've been in this business long enough, and I don't just mean cigar politics, but politics in general where, you know, it's like my father told me, boy, if you're going to be in the public realm, you better have a tough hide. And and it, it goes to the heart, going back to, you know, Larry Sabato in his book, Feeding Frenzy, about, you know, the name of the game in Washington is to kill the king, whoever the king might be that day, that day. Um, you know, the, politics is a contact sport. And, uh, and tobacco, anything tobacco has always got a target on its back. And that is where the industry does need to be unified, is looking out for those battles where we all have a collective target on our back. But, you know, it's like our realization with CRA, and, and I think to some degree PCA, though I don't want to speak for them, but anything with flavors has got a political target on its back. And that's not because of anybody except the agency.
1: I agree with that. But what about, so there's been a lot of talk that a premium cigar, premium cigar is going to have a, a price that's associated with it. I don't think that'll happen. ever happen?
0: No, that's not going to happen. It'll be tied up in the courts forever. It's You know, based upon that metaphor, and it's not a metaphor because what you're describing is, an, is or was an actual proposal and it will be alive when the Congress comes back, you know, whenever they come back. But uh, yeah, I mean, the FDA has been a, fixed to this notion of a price point to define a premium cigar. And it was included in this uh, HR 2339, I believe I got the bill number correct. And uh you know they want to say a premium cigar is twelve fifty, and then you know in two thousand and sixteen they said it was ten dollars, and they're adjusting for inflation, which is a silly, silly notion and a even sillier way to legislate, but it's not going to happen and and it's absolutely ridiculous if you look at you know any uh source of, of purchasing cigars, whether you're online or in a shop, if you see a- cigar that's uh, you know, that's the way I put it when people ask me what my favorite cigars are, and I always say I got favorites by price point. There are some truly outstanding five dollar and fifty cent cigars out there,
1: Absolutely. truly
0: outstanding five fifty cigars. I'll smoke them every day. There's some truly great seven fifty cigars. There are some marvelous ten dollar cigars, and there's some outstanding twenty seven fifty cigars. Can I tell you why they the five fifty cigar and the twenty seven fifty cigar? Both appeal to me. No, I enjoy them both. I just say that's a great $5.50 cigar. But in the production of the $27 cigar and the production of the $5 cigar, there's not two cents of difference in the production and the method and the skill that it took to bring both of those cigars to life. So how do you explain that to a federal bureaucrat? Well, you can't because they don't care. And if you don't care, you're not going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm being as honest and painfully in the trenches with you as I've been with many uh, podcasts and, and discussions, but it kind of just grates my soul as to how the bureaucracy looks at these products and have tried diligently now for years to design a one size fits all approach to regulation and saying, and if you read the final rule, and I've got a copy of it here, next time we'll do this by video when you broadcast it. All right. But I've got a copy of the final rule behind me. In 2016, they did everything humanly possible to try to equate a cigar with a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> and I'm not being dramatic by saying that. I'm not being slipped. They tried to do it. And in their minds, they did. And that's the reason they were so harsh in the final rule they, they came down on. But they were using this for guinea pigs for what they want to do for every tobacco uh, product because it's, the agency's got a political agenda. And when you've got a prohibitionist mentality, that's the way you put forth re- regulations of, of this scale and, and depth and threat. So that's why CRE does what it does. The PCA does what it does. It's why we collectively spent almost $6 million in court to fight this stuff off between the two organizations. And it's why the, 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 fight is going to continue well into the future because now that that final rule is signed, it doesn't matter who's in office. The threat is always going to be there in that part. And I know people are sick and tired of hearing this term, but that's what makes this the new normal.
1: Your irritation, and I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll use that word irritation, your irritation with the FDA, the bureaucracy that exists in Washington to this issue, uh, you're, you wear it on your sleeve. <laughs> like, it comes through loud and clear.
0: I've been in these meetings and briefings with the agency and the like, and, you know, when we're together, just having a beer and a cigar together, I'll tell you a story sometime <laughs> I <look laughs> that I really, that. that I really don't want to share publicly, but when this is all said, <laughs> call me November the 5th, you know, <laughs> uh, I will. Absolutely. But, but nature of the gripe against the bureaucracy as a whole and not just the FDA. It is mind boggling. You know, i got a copy of Senator, uh, uh, Rand Paul's book behind me, bringing up example after example of just average citizens being raked over the coals for violating, you know, water rights because they had a stream going through their property and they renovated their house and, you know a piece of wood fell in it you know <laughs> stupid stupid stuff. Yeah. why do i need to call the corps of engineers when i put rocks in the creek you know milking and cows and you know it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what i'm describing is the goes back to a speech that i gave to the industry on april the 9th 2009 and i remember that day it was our first CRE ever industry meeting and the president was uh signing the tobacco control act and I said, you know, kids, what just happened with S-CHIP, what the industry had just gone through with state children's health health insurance program taxation, it's child's play, and it's, and it's just the warm-up game for what you're going to confront in the regulatory fight. Once you give an agency the power to do something, they're going to do it. Shortly thereafter, there was a, you know, RTDA meeting in New Orleans, and they were up on, there was a political presentation, and someone said, don't worry about it. They're going to be consumed with cigarettes and smokeless in the next generation, for the next decade. I said, quit telling them that. You've got to fight every day like it's your last on earth. And I can assure you that that's the way every other industry under threat by the federal government or state government acts and behaves. And we've, we've got to be the same.
1: You've really laid out in the last 35 minutes or so why the CRA is so important and why the fight has to continue, uh, especially during these times of of uncertainty and all the things going on. And we hope there's a sense of normalcy soon. So, and I ask you this and you can answer it. You cannot answer it. You can tell me (laughs) that. So how you answer is up to you. Why why are you stepping away uh, from the CRA?
0: Well, as I'm fine of saying it'll be almost a dozen years at the end of this year and I've had marriages not last that long. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's the direction of things are so uncertain that because of the litigation and, and there have to be sacrifices. And the litigation has become an overwhelming uh, issue for the organization, for the board, um, for the pocketbooks of everybody involved and sacrifices have to be made. But I will consider myself a cigar advocate in one form or another for the rest of my life. I've been fortunate to always advocate and lobby for uh, causes and organizations and the like that I believe in. You know, my very first project as a consultant was uh, helping to kill tolls on uh, U.S. interstates for the truck trailers trucking industry. So I've always got a soft spot in my heart for truck trailers I always say, you, you go. You pass me. You know I know you're taking food to the next stop. You know, So they're my metaphor because I always have a soft spot in my heart for working for the trucking industry. Sure. Um, I'll always consider myself a cigar advocate. People should join Cigar Rights of America and support the cause. The the cause and the fight do not go away because um, I go off to something else. So, it's it's just time. Everybody gets to that point in life where it's just it's just time. Just ask my ex-wife. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. That's <laughs> uh, a good joke, though. I like it. I, I like it's it. Another, it's another metaphor. <laughs> it resonates with a lot of
1: people, I think. <laughs> so let me ask you this. I kind of want to, I just, you know, I've got some questions here for you uh, about your time uh, in the CRA. Like, what was your greatest accomplishment? You've, like you said, you've been there almost a dozen years now. In those dozen years, what has been your greatest accomplishment?
0: Oh, dear God. And so many of them are symbolic. I mean, you can't point to a specific either political battle or or something of that nature, but there were moments that were absolute moments of internal pride, if you will, organizational pride. The day we hit the mandatory signatures on a petition to the White House under the Obama administration to mandate an answer on regulation, I mean, the the IPCPR and CRI worked together to galvanize Twenty-five thousand, something like that, signatures in X number of days, and we're like, we hit the number. We went out and had cigars in front of the White House uh, to commemorate the moment. Literally, when we hit six digits on putting petitions into the United States Congress, I thought, well, we're starting to resonate. And this was a trigger moment. When you know, to this day, I feel like we're training cigar consumers to be politically political activists. I knew it was starting to become a turning point when not only did a cigar consumer fill out the petition with just their name and zip code and sending it to their member of Congress, but they took the time to send me the response of their member. They took the time to scan the response letter and said, Glenn, this is the response I got back from Congressman Smith. And I wanted you to know how he felt about the issue. I thought that is so bloody cool that they took the time to do that when I first saw the reaction of consumers at Big Smoke Vegas every year to supporting the industry financially, it's always our biggest financial and consumer event of the year is Big Smoke Vegas. And year after year, you know, we'll sell a, a 10-pack sampler and we'll offer a four-year membership. And a guy will come up and say, you know, I know I'm good for till 2032, but give me another one. And they actually will cite you the number of the years in, in advance they've paid for their CRA membership. That's awesome. Going down to Fort Worth, Texas to work on a smoking ban to protect the shops and the cigar lounges in Fort Worth. Currently working with a sympathetic member of Chicago City Council to try to bring cigar bars back to that great city. Going and offering testimony to protect the cigar bars in the state of Nebraska. Lobbying for a state tax cap in Albany, New York during a blizzard was a magical moment where – Oh, that's a long story, but getting the last train out of Albany or you're stuck there for seven days in a blizzard is a moment for tax cap history. <laughs> so the, what I'm giving you is an a century of memories that flash back where I could, I keep a map of the country in front of me on my desk here, and I go, All right, I've been there, been there, done this, done that. And now it's – I was figuring it up the other day. I mean, now it's been about 536 newsletters, 53 published articles, about 200 podcasts, visits to cigar shops or events in 28 of 50 states. So it gets to be a pretty in- interesting dozen-year package.
1: It does indeed. It sounds interesting. I, it sounds. <laughs> I, I will. I think you and I have a different uh, definition of the word magical. Hell, I had
0: a full head of hair when this thing started. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I know we're on the audio but as I show you my bald head, it's the stress. <laughs> but anyway, no, it's, it's, it's a heck of a ride, and it's, and it's an amazing industry. And uh, I will always in one form or, or another consider myself a part of it and um, always available for, um, to share with what I've, I have learned over the last dozen, dozen years.
1: So out of all of the stories that you can tell me, what What's the best story you have from your years uh, with the CRA? Like, what's the one that stands out where you're like, this is like it's either a great moment or it's kind of
0: funny or
1: like oh, what's the God. best story you got?
0: Oh, there's two that I cannot tell you until we have that beer totally <laughs> privately with no microphones within None. 50, yeah. 60 yards. There's two that I'm going to tell one of these days, but. <sighs> Too many of them still are uh with us to <laughs> to, to share but uh, that's a that's a tough question i mean you know it kind of goes back to that night and i i 'll share with you the the backstory i i said earlier that a cigar is an instrument of bipartisanship i've I borrowed that line from a moment and we were when in the old days, we'd have a, a, a quarterly gathering of, of cigar-smoking staff and members of Congress. And uh, um, two members of Congress, that I, I will not name it, but one was a diehard Tea Party Republican. And the other one was an ultra-liberal uh, Democrat. And the conservative member of Congress, and we had about 25, 28 people out on this patio enjoying cigars together. And the Republican that was there said, you know, we fight like cats and dogs day in and day out on that hill. We were down on Connecticut Avenue when this uh, reception took place. And we fight like cats and dogs. We, we vehemently disagree. And there's like nothing that me and my friend here beside me, and he pointed to the liberal Democrat, that we can agree on. But I know, that if we can sit down over a drink and a cigar that night, we can come up with an answer. And that makes a cigar an instrument of bipartisanship. And that's where that statement came from. And I was sitting there, it was almost like a religious moment. It was like that moment when you're sitting there going, you know, it was like Jake Blues and the Blues Brothers when he walks into the church and goes, I've seen the light. Yeah, (laughs) You have that (laughs) moment of divine intervention and you looked at that moment and you go, this is special. This is truly special because these were two powerful members of Congress in their own right who vehemently disagree, and they were standing beside each other, each other enjoying a cigar, and they said that together. And then they hugged. Then they hugged. And I was like, it was one of those moments where you wish you had it on film, but you could never use it if you had it.
1: <laughs> do you um, think I, – I, I don't mean to interrupt you there, but if, do you think if, if the American people saw that, there would be less divisiveness – Right, oh
0: God! What a great way to put it. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, no, I think the answer to your question is no, there would not be as much divisiveness. I think it would be a surreal moment. You know, uh, I've got a book behind me that a, a great friend gave me. Yeah. You know, I never was a big political fan of Chris Matthews, but he wrote a great book about the relationship between Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. And we've lost so much of that in Washington. And, um, you know, I think back when Bill Clinton lost the House and Newt Gingrich took over, he became a better president and O'Neill, and uh, Gingrich became a, a better speaker when they had to work together, when they were forced to work together. But there was nothing better symbolically than, than Reagan and Tip O'Neill, two polar political opposites philosophically, and they'd get together for a cocktail, you know, and Tip smoking a cigar on a Friday afternoon in Washington. We've lost that civility in in Washington and with the political process as a whole, and has that played a part in our predicaments? Absolutely, because there are a few things more divisive, divisive than tobacco politics and tobacco policy. Uh, and I really attribute that to the fact that our opposition, for years, you know this political effort with CRA and the PCA and, and everybody else could have should have begun you know 20 and 30 years ago but as i'm fond of putting it we're not going to be the first industry and we're not going to be the last that calls its way back from political armageddon um, and there needs to be more decision making made in smoke filled rooms it's one of my favorites uh, so if people saw that yeah i think they would react differently because they would see people that are polar political opposites coming together over the enjoyment of a cigar and having a civil Philosophical discussion that may amount to differences of opinion, but says, listen, there's a happy compromise. Well, the happy compromise is not regulating an industry out of business. Right. And if you can't get rid of the regulation, it's coming up with something everybody can live with. And right now, there's no discussion of what can you live with. And that part, there's an opportunity to possibly change during the balance of this administration.
1: It sounds like you have a pretty optimistic view of what the future holds for the cigar industry, for cigar rights here in, in America. I know you've still got a lot of work to do and you're not going away until November 4th is when is the day your last day as executive director of the cigar rights of America. So I know you still have time, but the next executive director, like what advice would you give that person?
0: God. <laughs> You have really got some intriguing questions here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not
1: sure if that's a compliment or not, but you No, know, it you. is.
0: It really is. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. This is not a game of, of egos. and It's where you've got to put the industry's uh, needs and interests first. Um, it's the proverbial balancing act like any special interest group, any special interest group. It's the proverbial balancing act. And uh, recognizing that there are, it's kind of like the, the moment we just described between two opposites in the legislature. Um, you have to recognize that there are industry opposites, that there's a lot of differing opinions, and being able to meld those into a workable solution is going to have to be the a hallmark of that work in the future. And recognizing that there's no one surefire answer to any given problem and that you have to take in a lot of different opinions to, to come to a workable solution is, is very, very important in this industry.
1: And what message would you tell the, your average Johnny cigar smoker? What would you tell them? Look, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Like people are staying away uh, right now from cigar lounges, they're staying away from restaurants, they're staying away from everything still and we're still trying to claw our way back economically. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not sure anyone knows what that looks like. What would you tell the average cigar smoker right now to like say, hey, we got to help everybody out. This is how we could do it. Like what's your message to them?
0: That's another insightful question. And uh, I would say try to keep life as close to normal as possible. You know, It told me a lot when I was talking to a a local, not a local, but a cigar shop here in in the state of Virginia, and they said, you know, we don't know how people, everybody used their stimulus check that they got, but they noticed a detectable uptick in sales when those checks started to hit. Well, that means somebody was looking for normalcy. Um, It means they were looking for that little piece of life that, you know, was pre-virus, pre-lockdown. And having a moment with a cigar represents that. And it's, the, it's, it's analogous to a conversation I had with a retailer in North Carolina who called me about the subject of becoming essential. And I said, listen, and I was just talking out loud, and I've since used it in a half a dozen podcasts. I said, I consider a cigar and what it does for one's mindset when you have it, when you enjoy it as contributing to your personal mental health well-being. And if that doesn't make you essential, I'm not sure what does. So the argument should be that if I'm more content with my life and my brethren that also enjoy a cigar are more content with their life during this incredibly stressful time, then that makes it good for the community's well-being. If a collection of our cigar brethren... To this day, uh, we a bunch of us get together on Saturday nights. The only night of the week we go out, literally that my wife and I go out, and we meet a group for cigars, you know, downtown. And we have we're all six feet apart. We got about twelve chairs. We order takeout. We sit around and eat sandwiches together and enjoy cigars together. One of us plays DD, um, and it brings some semblance of normalcy to this pandemic, to this crisis, to this time of stress. And that makes cigars a direct contributor to the mental health well-being of not only the community, but families, as far as I'm concerned. Because it allows you that moment of escape. And so to answer your, I hope I'm answering your question that what would I say? Try to keep life as normal as possible. Enjoy that cigar, indulge in that cigar, and look forward to the time when you can get back into your local lounge with your with all of your brethren on the regular basis like you did before.
1: I, that's yeah, perfect. That's it right there. I like I like how you how you phrase that, how you frame that. But it's interesting, and I don't want to circle back to this, but I'm going to, and I don't know why. It's interesting that you say that essential, because when I look around and I see pot dispensaries, weed dispensaries being labeled essential. And I see breweries and 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 bars labeled essential, and I kind I get both, I guess, somewhat from a medical standpoint, I suppose. But like you just pointed out, cigars—it's all about mental health, especially. Like, I can't tell you being locked up with a three-year-old all day <laughs> long every day for the last two months. Yeah, no. I need that cigar. That is my mental health. So, I, why is why is it so hard for the bureaucracy and even the, the state and local level to recognize that uh, with cigars? Is it just this predisposition to automatically start bashing everything that's tobacco? It's
0: it's part of it because we're I think so difficult to classify. You know, we're not a drugstore. we're not the grocery store, we're not the hair salon. It's difficult to pigeonhole us and put us on a little nice, neat, bureaucratic package. Are we retail? Yeah, I was talking to my friend Jim Clark in in Cincinnati, Ohio, who sells just enough alternative products like uh, soft drinks and, and whatnot that he fell under this convenience store, umbrella even though he's a cigar shop right so he lucked in into that because of other products that he sells um the i'm i'm mind boggled by it there are some some places that have been far more strict than others uh like my friend jay davis and down in uh, dallas texas that had a far more strict time and a difficult time qualifying for assistance and the like Um, it seems to be different pockets of the country those states where uh, the marijuana industry is much more prevalent and powerful nobody can explain why they're open and a cigar shop's not nobody can explain that and then a lot of of shop owners have simply taken their own initiative to say you know if i'm serving curbside what harm am i doing or causing the public so i'm gonna do it and do it until somebody says otherwise and i've heard time uh, stories like that in the local law enforcement say, do what you got to do for God's sake, what's the harm and you, you know, somebody calls up and says, I want a five pack of this and a box of this great cigars. I'm going to walk, here's my credit card number over the telephone and I'm going to be there in 12 minutes Yeah, and I'm going to pull up and you're going to hand me them in a plastic bag through the window of my car and we're not touching each other. That story is happening every day. What harm is it? You know, So I, again, I think the, to answer your question, the difficulty has probably fallen into that box of they can't classify us. They, they they don't they don't know where to put us uh, because we don't sell milk and we're not selling drugs and either prescription or otherwise. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. So I, and I get the confusion by that, but. Those places that have said, listen, we're traditional retail, we can serve curbside, we can do limited walk-in traffic, limiting 10 at a time, we're following within those CDC guidelines, what's the harm? And I think that's helped contribute to the survival of a lot of shops that could not have survived otherwise.
1: No, I, I would agree with that. Hopefully, all the shops that that will come out of this on the other side and be fine. You guys are doing a great job getting the word out. I love the whole shop small thing you were doing at the beginning of the uh, of this where you were encouraging people to to shop local i always encourage people to shop local i don't have a local shop so i've got to order online but whenever i go to a local shop i always buy i never take with me i'm always absolutely. Buying sticks there absolutely so i want to end this 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 podcast on on a on a kind of a fun note ah uh. so i'm going to ask you two questions uh, and I want to, I'm really interested in how you answer the second question. So the first question is how many Lee Harvey cigars? Oswald. <laughs> how
0: many cigars? You know, that's my like Trivial Pursuit answer to everything.
1: That's a good, that's not a bad, <laughs> not a bad way I'm to sorry, answer Trivial I didn't Pursuit. I'm
0: sorry, I didn't mean to be a smart ass. And <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs>
1: no, you're fine. I've, look, I've, I'm I've. i a smart ass and I interrupt everybody. Um, how many cigars in your personal stash do you have right now? And... Once you step away, once you step down from the CRA, (laughs) is that going to go up or is that going to go down? Did you say how many is in my personal stash? Yeah. How many cigars do you personally have like in your collection?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wish this was on video. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. In the house.
1: There's an out of
0: the house. Well, there is at our downtown local cigar club. Uh, our, our local cigar shop is over a hundred and I think eight years old. Oh, wow. And um, they have a club upstairs and I've got one of the original when they first opened it was kind of waist high uh, lockers. So that's the, that's the out of the house. stuff. Okay. Gotcha. But um, in the in-house stash, I don't know, thousand.
1: Now, is that going to go up or down?
0: Well, uh, you know, I'll probably work on uh, lowering the inventory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I buy a, a lot of cigars. It's, it's like neckties. It's like my bow tie collection. It's like, oh, God, I'm addicted. I've got a problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, my wife tells me that all the time. You have a problem. So, uh, you know,
0: I don't, I don't know. I mean, I like when I want something, I want it there. And I've got I've got a box of cigars. I, I didn't tell you who they are. I'm more less bashful now that there's a finite end. about what I'm smoking before I just say oh they're all my favorites. When you get right. 55 companies paying, <laughs> now I say oh, forget it. This is what I'm smoking. A great Tatuaje TAA Pete Johnson. Uh, <laughs> the new TAA 2020 is outstanding. Nice. It's kind of I figure since it's a limited release, it's politically safe to talk about it. You I know, would
1: agree with yes absolutely 100. percent You know
0: and I. I I've got a box of Tony Gomez's chapter one, wow. which I think was Tony's first cigar with his dad, at La Florida Minicana. And I've got about half of a box left and I bet they're seven, eight years old. And I'll just get this hankering after a big steak to go. That's what I want. And I don't even, I bet there's not another box on earth, but I've got about eight of them, six of them in a, Humidor behind my desk here, and every now and then I'll just say, "That's what I want." <laughs> so, is not it weird? I mean, cigarette smokers don't go. You know, God, I remember that Marlboro, and it was just like none of the other Marlboros that I smoked. And, <laughs> right? God, it was just like that other Marlboro I smoked. And they don't do that. I'll sit there and say, God, "You remember? You remember four years ago when we were on a balcony in Colorado, and you handed me one of those cigars from?" And God, there was, that was just such an amazing moment. And you feel it and you taste it in your mouth. And it's like playing a certain golf course. And 12 years later, you go, God, I can remember every step on that golf course. You know, there are just certain things in life. And cigars bring that into your psyche. And that's what makes them truly unique. And it proves a couple of things. One, they're not addictive. And two, they're not killing everybody. And that's exactly what our opposition is very fond of saying. So, anyway, I, I digress.
1: No, you're right. Oh, yeah. You don't have to digress here. You can go on and on if, if you'd like. But does that I, answer your question about the cigars? It does. Yes. Well, there's, yes about it does. A
0: thousand, there's about 1,000 in the house and probably another 1,000 downtown. You,
1: <laughs> you are only the second guest that has, has beat me on, on my collection. So, congrats. Lee, uh, Lee Marsh but they're from, all
0: special. But everyone right, exactly. Special. <laughs>
1: That's what I tell my wife, too. No, you don't understand. They're all special. I need mean them all
0: don't worry about it's it like, it's like that old joke ron whitehead he said how many is in your it was the same bloody question that i'm thinking about it and he said how many is it, how many cigars are in your collection he goes i don't have a collection because that would imply i'm not going to smoke every single one of them so
1: anyway yep.
0: absolutely, absolutely. <laughs>
1: your, your, your second question no that was it i but first oh, was that was many? It? and then the second question was is, is that going to go up or down you're going to keep oh, buying? Is it up or down yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean I've been a little bit compulsive during the pandemic. And um <laughs> it's kind of like that joke I saw on Facebook of I'm I'm going to the I'm going to the liquor store for the second time this week to stock up for the next 3 weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly I, it. <laughs> I'm going to the cigar store for the second time this week,
1: <laughs> that's right. To stock up <laughs> to stock for the next
0: exactly. That's it. The same analogy. But before we before we finish up, and I, we can go as long as we, we want to. I just want to make sure we get out to your listeners that at cigarrights.org, not only sign up for our grassroots network for free and join for twenty five, but we're running a, a Twitter campaign to the president. And there's a there's a Washington rumor that he's into Twitter. It's strictly a rumor. It's <laughs> Strictly rumored. But word has it, he's into Twitter. And we've got a collection of about five or seven different messages. You pick one that you're comfortable with, that you like, that, again, that you're politically comfortable with. Personally, I think we've got enough diversity there in the in the messages that people can find that they, they like and are comfortable with to implore the president to to get the administration to back off its regulation of cigars. It's a very simple message. Let them know that we're out here. Let them know that we're here. That... You know, ever since the governor of Florida, uh, Governor DeSantis uh, included cigar regulation in one of his personal conversations with the president, and he said that openly at a press conference, so I don't mind saying it here. Uh, It shows you what the industry means economically to the state of Florida and that the governor uh, knows that. Based upon that, I've been tagging uh, Governor DeSantis and, and at real Donald Trump, you know, Twitter feed on everything I send out re- re- regarding regulation. So, pick and choose. Send a message, but let's do it in
1: mass. Absolutely, cigarrights.org. Free for the newsletter. Sign up twenty five dollars. I'm telling you guys that if you if you want to keep your rights here in the United States, this is the best way to do it. Cigarrightsofamerica.org. Or Cigar- send a message right. to the president. Yeah, send a message to uh, Donald Trump. Let him know. Look, regardless. We talked about this the first time you were on. Regardless of what side of the aisle you land on, like cigars bring everyone together, we've you've reiterated that message today. It's not a partisan issue. Let's let's keep cigars free. There you go, Glenn Loop, Executive Director, uh, Cigar Rights of America, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for all you've done over the last almost twelve years. Yeah, uh, and hopefully we'll see you again uh, before November fourth. Glenn, thank you so much. Uh, Join me next time when I'm not sure what I'll be talking about, but I promise it'll be Simply Stogies. Stay smoky, friends. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Please rate and review Simply Stogies on iTunes.
0: You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies.